Hi, everyone. Welcome to Febrile, a culture podcast about all things infectious disease. I'm Sarah Dong, your host and a MedPeds ID fellow. In today's Febrile Digest, I'm joined by Justin Penner. Can you tell the listeners a little about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Sarah, for having me on. I'm really excited about this series coming up. Uh, and I hope everyone else uh, gets as excited about it uh, and enjoys it as much as we enjoy doing it. I'm Justin Penner. I'm a pediatric infectious diseases consultant at uh, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa, Canada. And I also do some work in Europe, in the UK, as a, that's where I did my PEDS ID and my immunocompromised ID fellowship. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so this episode of Febron Digest is really here to announce and say how excited we are about our next, uh, what will be four case-based episodes that will run in April and May, and they're all related to congenital infections. And before we started recording, I was telling Justin how I am so thrilled with how these have turned out. And these episodes are absolutely brilliant. And it really is all thanks to Justin and our amazing guest. And I really can't wait for our listeners to meet everyone that came on the show and work through these interesting cases. And so to kick off this series entitled Curious Congenital Conundrums, we're going to do a quick refresher about the classic congenital infections. So many of us were taught or learned the classic torch mnemonic. So T for toxoplasmosis, O is other, which is really kind of a catch-all letter, R for rubella, C for CMV, and H for HSV. And there are some limitations to this similar to really any other medical mnemonic or acronym. But there have been other pushes to try to propose different concepts that would be more broad than TORCH. And you, Justin, and some of your colleagues have had put together a review suggesting the possible use of SCORCHED as an alternate acronym or diagnostic framework instead. And so I'll link everyone to this paper, Stop Think Scorched, uh, which also has some really awesome diagrams and uh, graphics, which everyone knows we love here on Febrile. But I was wondering, Justin, if you could talk a little bit about how and why you were thinking about this modification and how we can use that to think about infections in these young babies. Yeah, exactly. I think um, the reason that we tried to rethink the traditional torch screen, as everyone kind of is taught in medical school, is that I think our our understanding of congenital infections has become much more broad than than just the classic kind of torch infections in namesake, but also in diagnostics as well. So we moved much further along, I think, diagnostically than just the serological tests that we think of when we think of the kind of classic torch screen. The second reason that we tried to kind of diversify this acronym was because the one main infection that that tends to get forgotten in the the torch acronym is syphilis. And that's because it gets buried a bit in the O, which I think we'll talk about in a second. And and I think the increasing rates of congenital syphilis that's really been seen around the world but in in particular parts of the world where we see it much more often than we did before. Uh, and that's you know secondary to many factors but but certainly we are seeing syphilis in the general population increase, and in particular, syphilis in populations we didn't typically see in the past, in particular, uh, women of childbearing age. So that's really where the new acronym came from. Uh, I think that the really the, the fetal placental interface is quite a interesting concept as a whole. And I think we're still learning about, uh, you know, how infections interplay with that interface. 
and we have new infections coming on all the time now that we live in a you know a, a globalized society uh, just thinking of the Zika virus uh, epidemic in Brazil that we had not so long ago and you know how how COVID perhaps may present with uh, certain features uh, in a kind of congenital format. I think that the the jury is still out. Uh, and certainly I'm sure that there will be viruses and other infections in the future. So keeping the kind of traditional acronym dynamic, I think is a, a really important thing. Yeah, as much as we'd love to have memories that didn't necessarily need these acronyms, I suspect we won't be able to get rid of them. Uh, so it is helpful to think of ways to modify them to fit a bit better. Exactly. So I thought what we could do is talk a little bit about the letters that have multiple things associated with them. Uh, so going through this or, or going from torch to scorched, in scorched, the S being syphilis, which you've mentioned briefly, C is still CMV, O is other, R is still rubella, and T is still toxoplasmosis. The second C is chickenpox or varicella zoster virus. And then finally, H, which is really another catch-all of more than just the HSV that is listed in Torch. And so I was wondering if maybe you could tell everyone a little bit about what you put in this O bucket and H bucket within the SCORCH acronym. Yeah, of course. So uh, I, as you mentioned, Sarah, the O is kind of a catch-all for things that exist currently that we know of, but also perhaps where we can put things that come in the future. So right now, what we've included in our O is is malaria. Um, I know that, again, talking about a globalized world, we see people traveling much more often now. And we do know that the malaria parasites have a predilection for the placenta and crossing the placenta. So it was something certainly we need to think of. Similarly, in South America, Chagas disease or American trypanosomiasis is something that we need to think about not just in that location itself, but in travelers or in migrants from those areas. And for example, where I did my pediatrics training in central Canada, in the prairies, where you know you won't, don't think of Chagas, actually we had a quite a, a large uh, migrant population from South America. So it's something certainly that we need to keep in our heads in, in all locations. Other things in the O that we need to think about are arboviruses. So the most common one that we think of is the one that I mentioned already, which is Zika virus. But I think the jury is out whether or not some of the other arboviruses like dengue, there's certainly been case reports of dengue causing a, a kind of congenital syndrome, whether or not any of those will cause further uh, issues from a congenital perspective in the future. Now, there's other things that I didn't include in the O, but probably could have been, for example, congenital tuberculosis. I mean, it's not something that we think of terribly often, but it's certainly something that we see in, uh, particularly in, in hyperendemic areas. Um, so, you know, thinking broadly and thinking of that, especially in, in, in mums who have active tuberculosis or um, tuberculosis of the gynecological tract. The other one that we included uh, here is parvovirus. And, you know, parvovirus, classically, we think about with, you know, the very edematous uh, hydropic baby which didn't really have its place in the traditional torch mnemonic. And, and lastly, and I think this is something that's probably been on our radar a, little, radar a little bit more lately, I think is enterovirus and kind of an enterovirus syndrome. We certainly see babies with kind of a, a traditional septic-like picture or a, a, a hepatitis or, you know, even babies that present 
in kind of similar terms to a, a congenital HLH-like picture, which is certainly something that enterovirus can present like, which is very different than what we think of traditionally enterovirus presenting like in older children. Uh, so just things to keep on our radar, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. The, the other kind of catch-all that we had in our mnemonic was the H, as, as you mentioned, Sarah. And um, that was because we really didn't want to forget the viruses or the infections that didn't have the kind of traditional congenital syndrome, but either can come along with uh, other infections. So in particular, the sexually transmitted infections, the bloodborne viruses, it's certainly something that we never want to forget about, co-infections. Now, what we know in ID in general is that um, certain behaviors or certain high-risk behaviors or certain exposures don't just predispose you to one thing, but certainly predispose you to more than one thing. And we do know that STIs travel in packs and bloodborne viruses tend to coincide with each other. And it would just be a shame to miss uh, concurrent infections, which is why we included those in our H part of the uh, mnemonic. So the H stands for HIV. And certainly we now in this day and age have many tools available to us to prevent vertical transmission of HIV. So really, in my mind, it's a never event. So it's something that I really wanted to stress in the Scorch uh, mnemonic. And in similar terms, the viral hepatitis, so hepatitis B and hepatitis C. So unfortunately, we don't have any preventatives for hepatitis uh, C. But certainly something that is important to know in mums for future pregnancies, because now we have eradication treatments that can be offered post-pregnancy and certainly for screening in the fetus. But hepatitis B, we do have um, preventative measures that we can take. So we just felt it was really important to, to bring people's attention to that. HSV is in the H as well, which is the classic torch infection, which I also wanted to kind of stress in our algorithms and our diagnostic algorithms that really HSV, from a congenital perspective, can manifest in several kind of different ways as well. So not to, to forget about that. And, and that is really dependent on when the mother and the fetus or baby is exposed to HSV, whether or not it's early in utero, and you really have a congenital HSV syndrome, or whether or not it's perinatally. And that's what we kind of traditionally think of with the septic baby or the baby with vesicular lesions or HSV meningitis. And last but not least, probably something that's not on most people's radar, but certainly is becoming more recognized as HTLV1. And again, something that doesn't have a traditional congenital infection syndrome, but certainly is something that we would like to be aware of. So these are, you know, mums that perhaps have presented previously with uh, particular types of malignancies that we would want to screen for. And, and the reason for this, because we don't have any particular treatment for the children's per se, but it would be one indication that we would not want the mum to breastfeed. So it's something that we should keep in mind as well. Yeah. And what I think is also emphasized in the episodes that are coming up is, um, well, I think the way that torch infections are generally taught to us suggest, here is this baby with this very clear syndrome, such as, you know, blueberry muffin rash, and then you'll check their serology and it will clearly say yes or no, this baby is infected. And I think we all know that it's so much more complicated and complex than that. And, or maybe often you're called that a neonate is asymptomatic, but their mom has some sort of incomplete blood work. And so in addition to these often difficult to interpret serologies when we have them, we also need to remember to incorporate all these other newer tools and modalities that we have. And so I hope that this series can emphasize 
you know, thinking or or moving out of that space of how we learned it and considering these patients as we see them more broadly, um, which, you know, a lot of times might just be that they have undifferentiated sepsis of some kind. But that's actually all I had for today. Uh, Jess, are there any other thoughts or things you want to share before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, just I like you said, Sarah, the one really important thing I want everyone to take out of this series is that the congenital infections, when they present clinically, they don't always present like you read in textbooks. And yeah. although we think of, you know, the classic, for example, congenital toxoplasmosis child with large head and hydrocephalus and the CMV child with microcephaly and features associated with that, actually, there's a lot of overlap in a lot of them. And I think when we learn it in medical school, we think of, oh, if we have these certain features, we should test for this one disease. Yeah. And really, actually, all the features <laughs> tend to muddle together. And when we think of one, we should really be thinking of all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and not pigeonholing ourselves into just testing for one thing, because that's when we risk missing other things. Secondly, from a diagnostic perspective, uh, like I mentioned before, and like Sarah had mentioned with, with serology, I think we move much past that. And what we need to remember with congenital infections is that really it's a, a multi-organ disease for the most part, for, for most of the uh, congenital infections. And, and thinking just beyond serology and beyond blood tests as well. So thinking of all the organs that can be infected. So this you know, includes thinking of involving our ophthalmology colleagues to look in the eye, yeah. involving our audiology colleagues to make sure that our, the children aren't deaf, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that we are ordering appropriate head imaging to see if there are any changes in, in the brain, whether or not that's polymicrogyria or inflammatory neuronal lesions, looking at you know, musculoskeletal abnormalities with x-rays. All these kind of things are really important in addition to the blood test that you're going to do. I think what we sometimes forget is the importance of the placenta itself and what sort of diagnostic value that has. I think too often the placenta is just thrown out. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that. And again, going back to that, the interesting dynamic between the fetal placental interface is, I think, not quite understood as much as it could be. And having those sort of specimens are very, very useful. Um, and then molecular diagnostics are also advancing so rapidly that we, we must consider that uh, as well. And, and I guess last but not least, I really, really wanted to stress, and I hope this, these series of, of episodes do that and stress this, is the importance of real multidisciplinary collaboration. Yeah you know, involving people and colleagues from elsewhere that are really experts in, in their field and understanding things from other people and putting our brains together. And I'm hopeful that, you know, we brought together some international colleagues who will exemplify that, but also from a research perspective, increasing those collaborations for larger databases and, and larger uh, randomized control trials, because we truly don't understand these diseases as much as we could or as much as we um, should. And from a treatment perspective, could really learn a lot uh, about both short, medium and long term uh, effects of the treatments that we currently have and, and how good they do work uh, or don't work, but also developmental outcomes and audiological outcomes. There's so much that we could learn if we all kind of put our expertise together and uh, create kind of larger databases because these in, in essence are quite rare disease in isolation, yeah. but uh, certainly warrant further study. 
further discussion. Well, thank you so much for coming. Uh, we'll have all the listeners tune in next week to get us started with the series. Thanks so much, Sarah. All right, everyone. So next week, I'll be joined by Dr. Nuria Sanchez Clemente and Dr. Hermione Lyle from London with our very first case. As always, you can find Febral on Twitter or their website, febralpodcast.com. You can find the link to Justin's Scorch paper we were discussing on the console notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you next week. <laughs>